Uh, welcome to the Juniper Lab podcast. Um, yeah, the, my name's Jeff Browning, and I'm I'm here to talk about crewing um, <laughs> with my crew chief, George Lamerity. Yeah, my name is George Plamerity, and I am also known as the Surf Monkey. <laughs> he is. And uh, I've been crewing with Jeff Browning for a very long time, so excited to have this conversation. Yeah, like, um, I don't know. I've been excited for this for a long time because we kind of started chatting about this at Hard Rock. It's kind of like, kind of jokingly, but then also very seriously, because like you guys have been together, like it sounds really weird to say it that way, but you guys have <laughs> known each other for a long time and uh, like have learned a lot over crewing. Your crewing is like super dialed, like just watching is just like so crazy how just like dialed in you guys are like, like George, you know exactly what Jeff wants. And then like, I don't know, you just can like, it's like you can almost communicate like without even saying anything. It's really cool to watch. It's telepathic, yeah. man. Yeah, man. <laughs> no, it is. I think it is kind of cool. I think crewing is one of those like, uh, kind of like un, un, like recognized aspects of this game that we all play. Right. You know, like it, it's, it can really like make or break someone's day. I know when I'm on the other side, like on the running side, those moments when you see your crew are just so crucial to like keeping your head right, you know, having those little pieces you need. Like we often talk about in ultra running, right? Like how it's like, you know, you, there's very few things you take with you. So each one of those things becomes incredibly important, right? And crewing can can really help you keep that straight, I think, you know. Yeah, I think it's definitely like, like I don't know, having like a solid plan from like the runner, but then also like whoever is crewing is, is very important versus kind of showing up like with like your in-laws or something like, hey, like give me some food or whatever at this aid station. Yeah. Like it's a lot more dialed than that. And I think as people get more competitive and especially as racing gets more competitive, the crewing aspect becomes just more important because like you see at hard rocker states how like dialed everyone has to be if you're going to place like or if you're in a podium or something yeah yeah, yeah. literally it becomes like a pit crew you know literally um yeah. you know like in like nascar or something like it it really has gone to a kind of another we we've kind of had to take it to another level over the years you know i used to use my 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 dad god rest his soul but you know, like he, uh, when he was living, he would come to like big, big horn or something. And I would come into an aid station and I, you know, you get like, George knows, like we've crewed so many times, like, you know, if I do a drop bag or something, he goes and gets the drop bag, gets everything out. Everything's ready. Like my dad just like hands me my drop bag zipped up, you know, that was like <laughs> in the old days and you'd be like, dude, open it up, man. I got to get in there, man. <laughs> you know, um, we're racing here. Uh, so it, it's good to have, I mean, good crew is, can, can be the difference between, you know, winning or a course record or, um, or not. So yeah. I think that it can be really, it's an important piece of the game, especially if we're racing. So, um, yeah. you know, and George That's... and I've been, have known each other for a long, long time. So he's been crewing for me for over 10 years. So, you know, a lot of races. I think it kind of is, that's kind of a cool story, I think, to like go back in time a little bit and think about it. Cause in some ways, you know, I feel like when we first started hanging, like there wasn't a lot of knowledge out there around like how to crew or like, you know, even really like how to put together these enormous projects that are hundred mile races. Right. And like, really like, you know, one of the things I've always appreciated about our relationship is the way that we have like really thought about it super strategically and like, you know, broken it down and like, you know, almost like to like the, the second as to how we're going to operate, you know? Um, so maybe, maybe right. it's worth us unpacking some of that history a little bit, you know? 
yeah, yeah let's, I mean, let's jump into I that. Mean, yeah, I mean, the early days, like we were, it, there was a little bit of trial and error going on when we first started doing this. I mean, it started out as like, okay, hey, I just need like to swap some handheld bottles or something. And like when we go back to like say San Diego 100 was like, a, we, we started kind of cutting our teeth there yeah. um, and racing there. And and it there was some, we learned pretty quickly, like, hey, we, we've got to like be even more efficient because we're, you know, we're wasting, you know, if you waste two minutes, you know, or something or a minute, and then over the next section, you've got to run 20, 30 seconds a mile faster to keep up with the guy who just went through faster than you, you know, yeah. or, or vice versa. So I think the, the cool thing I think about George, our relationship is we've always sat down after the race and like kind of analyzed what we did, what we did well, what we didn't do well. And then we like fine tuned and funneled like that plan for the next race. So we just always would take notes and be like our mental notes or whether we wrote things down, but we just like, okay, next time let's do this. Next time we need this kind of a cooler, you know, yeah. or we we've even gone down to like the kind of cooler we need in the back of my truck you know, for efficiency. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. So, Jeff, we even I, learned I wanna... that we needed backpack coolers sometimes. Yeah, that's kind of one of the cool things I think about like our game that we play, right? Is that um, like each one of these races is so different from each other, right? You know, and we talk about that like as runners, like just the terrain and the way we train, but it's also true from the crewing side too. Like sometimes you're pulling your car right up and you're just like opening up the tailgate, right? And other times you're having to hike a big hike or maybe you're trying to like, you know, hike down, catch your runner, like get back up as fast as you can drive like a maniac to get around in front and try to get in front of them a second time at the next aid station, you know, and like how you plan that structurally is like a really important piece of the pie. Like, I, I feel like one of the secrets of what we've done is this thing. I actually brought this to like show because I thought this would be kind of cool. These are like, this is how it works, kids. You know, what we do is we've always made these spreadsheets where it's like uh, really thought out and dialed. So each one of the moments when we're going to see each other, we have a list of exactly what's going to happen at that place. And we execute that list like perfectly, I feel like, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's listed down to like what's in the drop bag versus what he has on him that he's giving me. And um, it's pretty detailed. And and I think that really helps a ton because then if they're tired, you know, if a crew is, that's one of the things with crew, especially being a coach and having to coach ultra runners who maybe don't use crew that often or or first time using crew is one having a crew meeting ahead of time. So there's expectations and, and understanding, you know, so you're not like coming into an aid station and then pissed at your crew because you didn't manage them. Like you have to manage your crew as the runner. Number one, it's your responsibility, not your crews to figure it out. So that's why I've always done a spreadsheet and that way, George, or even if, if George can't make it, George is always my first choice. If George can't make it, then we have someone, if we have someone else, you know, they, they have to be under our system and they get used to like this system that George and I've developed. And that's, that's this kind of like cheat sheet for him. Cause that way, if he's fatigued at two in the morning, he's like, Oh gosh, what does Jeff need? He can like read that cheat sheet and go, Oh yeah, yeah, this, 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 and this. And I usually even think about it in order of like what I might need. Um, and that way he can kind of manage himself when he's out, out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night. Yeah. I think that, that, that pre-meeting is like such a crucial piece, right? It's like, 
you know, I think back to like those, those early San Diego days and how like, like the word we used to always use was logistics, you know, like logistics, man, that's what it's all about, you know? And so like yeah. in the pre-meeting, it's like both people have to bring themselves to that, right? Like you're right that, that like crew begins with you, right? You know, if you're coaching your runner, right? You know, they, you are responsible ultimately, but the crew also needs to come to that meeting with like, they need to engage. They need to like visualize themselves in that aid station, what they're going through, right? And make make sure that we're dialing that moment in because more often than not, you know, you'll bring a spreadsheet, right? But if I look at like our spreadsheet from Hard Rock that I'm looking at here, there's a ton of handwritten notes that we, you know, made decisions on the fly the day before. In the pre in through. the pre-meeting or even during like dinner. We be like yeah. already have a meeting and we're sitting there talking and like, oh, we should do that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, hold on, I'm gonna write it down. Yeah. You know. Just yeah. make sure that we're like George will grab a pen and actually, if you notice, it's an acetate sheet or whatever, <laughs> a clear acetate sheet with a pen stuck in it, so we can make extra notes. Yeah, like we've even gone to the point where we're like, we've had even you know print out spreadsheets in the past where we didn't have it in a sleeve and it gets wet and then you can't read it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so we learned from that how we put it in an acetate sheet and like the pen goes with it. So we can make yeah. handwritten notes. There's always handwritten. I think almost every race we've done, there's been handwritten notes on it. Every time, every time, every time. And that kind of, I kind of like, you know, I love that. Like, it's funny. We haven't really necessarily thought about this before having this conversation, but I think this is really true. Like pre-race, right. Then there's like the race day. And then there's like kind of the post-mortem, you know, and each one of those is like so crucial to making this really like work, you know, like even just hard rock. I mean, we I guess we could kind of like, break down the crewing race perspective right but that next day at hard rock we thought of like six different things time you know specifically for that race you know like um, where even where to put the base cooler in the truck so you yeah, did it exactly exactly like how do we because i brought this gigantic cooler i have one of those what like bear proof like you know made in bozeman montana like can't grizzly can't get in it type of coolers and it's a great base cooler but it's it's freaking unwieldy and so we were like we had it up front and by the tailgate and then you can't get anything behind it and it's super heavy and you can't really move it so we were just talking through like oh it would be easier if it was a base one and then we had a smaller cooler that we could like it was portable you know so like all these little kind of details that make his job easier because that's the last thing i want him doing is stressing out when you know, went up from between aid stations, like trying to figure out what he needs to get to and like having trouble getting to it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and Hard Rock specifically is such an interesting one. It was like, you know, you know, for the fast guys out there in the world, right. You know, you're running hundred milers in 16 hours or something like that, right? Like Hard Rock, no one's doing that, right. It's going to be long even for the fast folks. And so like, uh, you know, this year was my, my second time crewing Hard Rock and, um, you know, one of the things I did differently was I actually slept. Like normally I don't sleep when I'm crewing, but like you kind of have to sleep strategically a little bit just to like stay mentally fresh and just like not crash the car when you're driving, you know, things like that. Um, and so part of part of that postmortem was like, oh yeah, we need to rearrange things so that we can actually build a bed in here so that like, you know, this is like ready to go. So you can maximize sleeping time as a crew when you do have that spare hour that you can kind of like use. Um yeah, we talked about my truck has a we like for example, just to give you guys the detail the details of what we're talking about. 
I have like a, just a regular like fold out cot thing, like a camping cot. And it fits perfectly in my tundra in the back. And, and I have a camper shell on it. So like we were talking about like I've used it this way before, like when I was traveling solo and I just need to crash really quick. And we were talking about just having that as one of the like in the back of the truck with a sleeping bag. So all he has to do is just like keep the back of the truck opened up and like crawl back in the back and like crash out for as long as he needs to. And it's like right there. So he doesn't have to even think about it. So he can take a power nap anytime he needs to, Yeah, you know, and then it's comfortable. It's accessible. There is no setup, right? It's already set up. So that's yeah. one thing we've talked through for future stuff. Yeah. I think that's like one of the secrets of like really good crewing is just like, like, just like racing, right? It's all about like a fewer steps. And like, it's so funny how, you know, in ultra running, there's such, such like, like, it's like a game of nuance because like over the course of a hundred miles, those few steps, like they add up, you know, same yeah. thing with like crewing, you know, having like things dialed so that you have just that, that's, you know, 5% less effort over the course of the whole event actually winds up being 25, 35% less effort, you know, which really does move the needle. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's a, especially other, if you're going for performance, you know, right. If you're right. just trying to finish, it's one thing, but right. if you're going for performance, it definitely makes a, a, I mean, a huge difference. Yeah. That that's kind of a cool, like, like pivot point there. Right. Because so if you're going for performance, I guess I would try to say this is that, that there's, there's the aspect of crewing that is like the logistical, physical nuts and bolts. Right. And then there's this huge aspect of crewing that is like the mental, like emotional connection that you're sharing with the runner and like the actual energy you're passing back and forth, not just the bottles themselves. Right. And so like right. when you're dealing with someone that's racing, Right. Like coming to that with that, like clear, concise, efficient, like that energy gets transferred to you. Right. I would imagine. I mean, please speak. I don't, I don't presume to speak for you, but. Yeah, it does. Because like there's, there's times when we've been in races and I've passed like two or three people in an aid station because George is there and we're like, so efficient, like in and out and people are like, what just, you know, you can see the runners like, well, what just happened? You know, totally, like, totally. cause we were so efficient. Right. And so we just by being logistically prepared where we we were faster and and then that p carries over to performance because then all of a sudden like those guys are like out of the you're throwing them off their game right yeah. because they're like oh my gosh how did he get through so fast or he just passed me what you know we we've passed people over the years in aid stations because of that efficiency so Absolutely. i think that's a from a performance perspective, that's a really important piece. And and it gets passed on to me because then I'm walking out of there like, yeah, man, we just like <laughs> nailed that one. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Which totally, is really totally. awesome. Cool how that works in ultra running, how like each one of those moments like like has that cascade effect into the next moment, right? Like like something done well means that the next thing is way more likely to be done well, right? And it like becomes like a virtuous cycle like that, you know, where they feed on each other. Yeah. Um, and I guess I would say for those that are crewing someone that's that's not trying to race, right, that that point still holds true. So like the more organized you are, the more calm you'll be. Right. And so as a crew to someone who's like not a, like elite, the number one thing you're doing is actually helping them just stay calm and chill the whole time. Right. Like not get into like any race mode, not burn any matches, if you will. Right. And so the more like, like dialed the crew is like the calmer the crew will be. And the more calm the crew is, the more you're transferring like calmness to that runner, which is 
honestly, like one of the best things you could do, like for me personally, like I'm not ever going to be at the front of the pack in a hundred mile race. So when I come into my crew, the number one thing I want them to do is help me just stay relaxed and like positive, you know? And the more that that can get fostered, like the better, you know? Yeah. And I think another important piece is just like the way you talk to your runner is super important you know it needs to be positive it needs to be not negative it needs to be not babying them either like where you're giving them permission to complain or something right like you never want to ask your runner how you doing right? <laughs> like you're giving them permission well it's mile 75 they're gonna go oh, i'm hurt you don't give them that that kind of a question right so it matters how you talk to your runner too because you're you're, you're guiding them on like what they can complain about and what they can't. And we don't want them to complain, right? The one thing we don't want is complain, complaining, but human nature by just we, when we're hurting, like voice it. We want to say, hey, man, I'm hurting, you know, sympathize with me. Right. But but in a hundred mile race, you don't want to doing that. You don't want to even go there, right? You just want to like stay positive, stay in your happy place and like be calm and just keep moving, right? So that's what your crew's there to do is to keep you positive, tell tell you you look good even if you don't, <laughs> and and keep moving well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's that's cool. I feel like actually, Jeff, one of the coolest things about our relationship has been that communication piece. You know, like I think back to like like the very first San Diego hundred that I crewed you for when you and and one you know and there was there was moments in there where like you know we would connect late in the race and i feel like we've actually carried this through for a lot of our racing history together you know where like it's like those little bits of detail hey you know dylan showed up here and he was like he was he was in and out in three seconds he's looking super good like you know you're gonna have to really step it to like stay in front of him right or you know right you know, someone else was in here a little bit ago, they're out already on the course, but like, if you catch them on this next climb, like this is the moment, like step on it, you know? And we've really had some, I feel like maybe, you know, quite a few races actually where pieces of information like that have made a difference between how the day like unfolded really. Especially when you're racing, like it's nice later in the race to get some kind of a report on your competition. So when we're racing and, and, you know, I tend to come, from behind guys in the race and so over the years like it's nice to have that report like george sometimes would stay at an aid station if he could if he could swing it time-wise he would stay in an aid station till like let's say i'm in the lead for example like say at mile 60 he would stay at the aid station and then give me a report on second what they look like how far back they were right you know and we, we even had a rule in the early days it was like just stay like 20 minutes if he's like Within 20 minutes, I won't know, right? Or in 30 minutes or whatever. If he's inside of 30 or 20 or 30 minutes, I want to know in the second half of the race. That means he's got a potential to catch me. And I want to I want to know that. And that's a good motivator for you mentally. If you know someone's only 20 minutes back in a hundred miler, that's not very much. That's one section you can like make a mistake and he that person's catching you. So I, I think that's one of the things we did in the early days that I think was really helpful. Or if I was behind someone, he'd be like, okay, you're like 20 minutes back. And then I'd be in the next stage. Station, okay. You're 15 minutes back. So I'm gaining on him. And this is what he looks like. You know, we had a lot of those discussions, you know, over the years. And we even at hard rock, you know, like 
I, I like brings to mind Chapman. Yeah. And we got there and we were like, and, and George is always Chrissy Mayle always called George Bronco whisperer because he like can focus me really well. Cause I can get to talking and like sitting at the aid station in a chair and be like, yeah, man, blah, 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 you know? And he'll just like focus me back. But he like, he just got down right in front of my face and he's like, okay, Dylan and Avery are on cots here right now. <laughs> and he's like, there are two other people that are like within 20 minutes of you in front of you. And I was like, I was like, I mean, I had been chatting with him and kind of like enjoying seeing them because it was the last place I was going to see him on the course. And all of a sudden it's like, whoop, I'm standing up. I'm like out of there within like 20 seconds of him saying that. Right. We're like, we're finished crewing. We're like done. We're I'm out. And so like it was a, it, sometimes if your crew knows you well, they can also like bring you back to like where you need to focus because it's e it's easy when you're fatigued and sleep deprived and you're ace to kind of just be comfortable where you are and not think about like the competition necessarily. If you haven't seen anybody like hard rock, we kind of settle into our spots. It's such a big course that you're either going to catch someone or you're not, but sometimes it's nice to know <laughs> that you're like, Hey, you're gaining on these people. Like you need to focus. If you focus, you got them, you're going to get them. And so George has been really good in that, in that respect um, about kind of like getting me back centered and full focused to get, get rolling again. So I walk out of there with a clear goal. Yeah. That's a, that, that, there's a real art to that. I feel like on, from this side of, of the table, right. You know, of like knowing to um, like tell your person to push Right. And knowing when to tell your person to like sit back and like, you know, stay calm. Right. Like, so to go with that hard rock going on, you know, all day long, uh, you know, we were watching Dylan, we were watching Avery, we had our eyes on exactly where they were in the field and they were quite a bit in front of you. Right. And I don't know if you might remember the whole day long, I was telling you to like, just stay chill, just stay chill, stay where you're at, stay where you're at. And then in Chapman was the first time I was like, this is the moment to push. You know, like, and in that situation, it was like dope. Cause I remember coming into Chapman and we had been a good 45 minutes behind uh, Avery and Dylan, at least maybe even an hour in URA. Um, And when I came in and I was like, I saw Avery sitting at the fire. There was this like part of me that was like, oh man, everything's about to change, you know? And then hey, found right. out the race is getting shaken up. Totally. And Anna Lee, the, that French chick was still sitting there too. It was like, all of a sudden it was like, okay, 10th to fifth becomes very possible right now, you know? Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I think definitely like, like you're saying, George, like all these little things, I guess you were saying earlier, like they add up like 10th to fifth, obviously is like, it's five spots, but like you were able to like maybe make up that much time but not having to run harder. It's like running smarter versus harder. And like, yeah, you're not necessarily like, okay, I'm going to take this easier, this climb or whatever. It's like just saving five minutes in an aid station over the course of a hard rock after how many aid stations could be like, what, like 45 minutes or something, which is a lot less running you have to do. Yeah, that was the math we did way back in the early days of like looking at like how long was spent in each aid station and then like kind of figuring out, okay, if we can like cut out a third of that time, right? You know, if it's 10 minutes, like it was back in the day, right? If we could cut that down to five, 
right? And then you multiply that by six aid stations, you know, that's a half hour, right? That's the difference between 17 hours and a 1630. I mean, I even know we can all do the math, but still like just to emphasize the point, like, you know, it really, really adds up and makes a difference, right? And then if you can go from 10 minutes down to one minute, right? You're taking a full hour off of a hundred mile time. Um, That's, that's- And, and, And that's compounded in a 200 plus race. Oh man, no, that's an interesting like way to change this conversation because like <laughs> talk about like where logistics crew and like, like that, that bond between runner and crew becomes even more important. Like in that 200 mile realm, like our experience with Moab uh, was like, I feel like it was like the, it was like the post-grad degree from all the years we've been working on this system together, you know, uh, and we had a lot of like tweaks we figured we could do too. After that download, like there were so oh, many things we were like, Oh, we could do that better. We could do that way better. We could, we could fine tune that more, you yeah. know, cause it, it really is easy. Time disappears at aid stations in two hundreds. Yeah. Like, yeah. Poof. For sure. For sure. Like, whoops, we just spent 45 minutes here, you know, or an hour or whatever. And you didn't get any sleep or something. You know, it's easy to like burn 20 minutes or 30 minutes at an aid station and you didn't accomplish sleep, which sleep deprivation is like the number one thing that derails you in a 200 plus race. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So like one of the things we talk about when we're coaching it is like, okay, in and out of aid stations, get what you need, get your food and take care of yourself, but you need to be really, really efficient at every aid station you're not sleeping at, right? Get what you need. It's going to take longer than a normal hundred, but you can still be quick. And, and you but because the difference between say five to seven minutes getting everything you need and 20 to 30 minutes getting everything you need is not that different. Like meaning it's not, it's not that hard to waste that much time. Super, super important point. Super important point. And I, I think that like, that's the, that's the, it's an interesting pivot from the 100 to 200 plus where, you know, in a hundred, I would say our average time in aid station is easily under two minutes. You know, I, I think quite often, you know, it's, it's under one minute, like we, we've got our game down. Right. And so when we take that to the 200, yeah. you know, I would probably guess at Moab, our average time was seven to 10 minutes, unless you were taking a nap, you know, we were pretty, we were pretty quick, uh, across the board, but we, we really emphasized, I think, um, kind of that, like, calm it down sort of thing. Right. Like, like there was, it was all about like, like taking an extra moment, right. In between each thing we were doing, there was like some breaths and some like, just like chill decompression, kind of thing around it, but staying, but staying true to the system, even with that decompression, it was a really, I'm looking forward to the next time we get to try to explore that. Cause there's a lot to be, to be learned and, and gained. yeah. And it's such a vibe because it's so long. And especially in the first half of the race, you're, you're just mm-hmm. trying to like be really efficient and, but it's nice because the base stations are farther apart. It's nice to like, actually as the runner, I'm out of here. Whereas in a, in a 200, you can actually take a little more time, but if you're real, again, this goes back to logistics. If you're really efficient, you can still take that time, but 
not burn a ton of time, I guess. Exactly. 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 Yeah. 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 So then I guess jumping back a little bit to two hundreds, like you guys are George, you had crewed a ton of hundreds before with Jeff and then suddenly Moab, it's Moab two forty. It's not just two hundreds, so there's forty miles on top of that. So like what was that like going into that for both of you guys? Cause I know like like um Jeff, you've coached people going into two hundreds and stuff and you kind of did Moab kind of as well one for a new challenge, but then also like to figure out like what people are doing at these events and your guys' plan changed in the moment and then obviously the postmortem afterwards. But like what was that like going from being basically experts at hundreds and having the crew down and the running down to suddenly this new experience that's longer, a lot I'll, longer? I'll let, I'll let George speak to this one first. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that for sure. Uh, so I would definitely say that like, okay, a few things, a few things to say here. The first thing is that like, it goes to that pre-planning point, right? So every hundred mile race, it's been like me and Jeff almost always like solo, right? Occasionally we'll have like somebody else in the mix too, but usually it's just like one of us and then someone kind of riding shotgun with me. Um, this was the first time where we like actually planned to have multiple people in the crew. So that was a really important, and I think that was like really clutch and essential piece of that, you know? So Jeff did a great job of putting together kind of like the all-star sort of dream team, right? Like Derek, yourself, you were on there. Jean was a great friend. And then, you know, Jen kind of jumping into the mix too. That was like, that was really a special piece having like all of those people and the way we could kind of like flex in and out of each other and like what was the right thing at the right moment. I feel like that was a really important piece of that, you know? Um, I feel like another, another really important piece, there was a phrase and I'm sure you'll probably remember this Derek, but constantly during that crewing experience, we were like, we were calling audibles like on the fly, you know, during the course of Jeff being on the course, we were making calls to do things totally differently from the plan, which is not normal. Um, and, and the phrase we kept falling back on was like, the next time when we never do this again, here's how we're going to do it better. <laughs> you know, and So there was this <laughs> continual through line of like humor and like, um, you know, laughing at ourselves as we were actually like building the plane while falling off the cliff, you know, kind of experience that was like, that was really bad. <laughs> oh my God, get the wing on, get the wing on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Because there was there was like a lot of unknowns there, man. Like that is truly like it felt like being back in 2010 in the hundred mile world where we're trying to figure it out. We're like, oh, really important. And like, you know, stuff that we just like totally take for granted now. Um, so yeah, that's that's a that was a really cool experience to get to like flex into it, you know. And I think if you look at our postmortem notes they're long and extensive as to how we will behave differently next time in that race, you know? Yeah. Now yeah, that you mentioned, oh, go thing. ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say like, let's kind of talk a little bit about like making a plan, but then also being able to be variable on the fly because like, I think a lot of people get stuck in the plan. I do this a lot of times when I'm racing. I'm like, I need to have salt at this exact time. I need to drink at this time. I need to do this exactly these numbers. But like, that's not how ultra running works. And that's even more exacerbated in like in a 200 plus mile event where yeah. there's so many variables. So like, how do you have a plan that you try to stick to, but then also know when to change? Yeah, that's like, that's like the black belt level. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so first of all, like be, be gentle with yourself because it takes a while to get there, you know? Um, uh, but you know, 
the truth is that every plan, like what, what's that saying that's in like, you know, kind of like, like no, no plan survives like the first brush with the enemy. Like, you know, like you have to understand that when you make a plan, you have to have a certain amount of like adaptability that's like built into that. Right. And some of this is stuff that, like I'm saying, you have to develop as a nuanced kind of like back and forth between you and your runner over the course of years of doing it, you know, um, but, and then, and then some of it is like just the accumulated knowledge that you have to like reach back and like pull out of the hat when, when it's needed, you know? Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe Jeff, you want to like comment on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is I, one thing that that comes to mind is with, when we were with Moab is that I had all these gear bags, right. Organized a certain way. And, but it was logical to my mind. But it wasn't logical to George's mind. Yeah. And so he like reworked by the within during the race, he like reorganized the bags. So he knew everything was exactly where everything was. And so when I was tired later in the race, I just say I need this. And he would know exactly where it was because the logic for him was different than mine. So and I at some point in the second half of the race, I'm so I'm so sleep deprived that I couldn't even remember which bag it would be in anyway, right? Because you're so you're tired. So so it, that's when the crew becomes crucial. Now another piece of that is making sure the crew. One thing we we in our down post mortem download we talked about was like when you have this team that's crewing, you know, it, it's there for safety, for like morale, for things like they got people to hang out with and, and support each other that someone needs to rotate out and sleep yeah. because you, you can't have the crew getting super, super sleep deprived. And that happens a lot in two hundreds where the crew is so strung out by the second half, the runner strung out, the crew's strung out, right. That it really becomes a, it really is a negative on everyone because the crew can't even function. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes you can have too many cooks in the kitchen too. So there needs to be understood hierarchy in decision-making for the crew too. So they're like even establishing that before the race, like, okay, here's the chief, you know, like George is always crew chief, right? Everyone else is under him. My wife can trump the chief occasionally um, because she's my wife. And, um, but, but she knows her place too. Like, even like in that spot, like, she knew where she found where she fits. She knows George, she knows Derek, she knows Jean. And she found, you know, she this crewing thing for her is relatively new because over the years, when I started getting into this and racing and, and having success, George kind of stepped in as my main go-to person because we had little kids in the house. So she wasn't traveling with me and she wasn't going to races. And so then you know, fast forward 15 years, George and I have this history, right. Of like 12 years of crewing or whatever. And, and we have a way we do it. This is the way we do it. And she had to come into that and understand that she had to find her place in, in where she fit. Right. And she, and I think, I feel like she did a great job of that. And most of that was just handling me, you know, me emotionally, especially in a 200, you're just like, there's a lot of stuff going on in the second half of the race mentally it's tough on you. And just to have her there, like managing that piece. And she gave me some tough love, you know, like, even though she didn't want, you know, to, and then that's where Jean comes in and, 
you know, letting her cry on her, on his shoulder after mile 200 when I'm hypothermic and you guys got like hot water bottles on my chest and I'm, I, you know, Jen's like freaking out behind the scenes, but she just looks at me and goes, if you want this record, you got to go now. You know, she didn't want to tell me that she needed to give me that. Like she needed, she was the person to give me that you're coming from her. It's like, okay, sit up. I got to get out of here, you know? Um, so I think it just really matters. Like each individual person, especially in a 200, it's got to be a team effort. It's hard to do solo. Um, doing crew, you it's hard. You're really asking a lot to have one crew person in a 200. Man, that would be, ugh, I honestly, I think that that would be like negligent. Um, I think you need a minimum two. You know, I think you need maximum four, right? Yeah. You know, like minimum is two, just just for sleeping sake okay. alone. It, this is a really, really good point, George. <laughs> maximum four, because <laughs> otherwise you you get you get to. I'll tell you why. In the year before I ran Moab, I went and helped Mike McKnight, and so you know we I I paced him and helped crew and and I have over the years multiple times because I coach him and. And so it's, it was a really good learning experience for me to be in through position and the, in the pacing position. Right. I, I felt like I needed to experience that for in a 200 to understand before I raced it. And so I didn't, you know, I wanted to understand what he did well, what he didn't do well. And then, cause he's up front and racing, but also after the race, after I'd slept and caught up on some sleep I, on the course, cause I had athletes running right middle back of the Packers and um, and I wanted to understand what they were going through too, right. As a coach. So going out and just hanging out at like mile 200, right. Like of a 240 is like one of the best places to see like the logistics of a crew, right. <laughs> Everyone's strung out by then, right. The runners struck. And so I, one of my athletes in particular, he ended up having originally we were supposed to have two or three guys but he ended up having like six or seven guys with him. I can't remember exactly, but they had an RV rented and all this stuff. And, but I, one of the guys ended up got injured and couldn't run, but they already had plane flights. So they all just decided to help crew, right? They're supposed to have two runners and two crews and those crews, one runner got injured and that whole crew plus the runner became part of the crew. Right. And one of the things I witnessed was like this need for everyone to help. When you have too many cooks in the kitchen, then everyone's like trying to help and it becomes it counterproductive. So for example, he needed to take about a 15 minute power nap, but he was cold. So we put him like in a chair with a blanket over him so he could just like 15 minutes. It was middle of the day. It was day out of there. The problem is, is during this time, his main crew was supposed to repack his bag. So he's repacking, they're repacking his bag and putting everything where it needs to be. And this is another thing as the runner, take responsibility for your own bag because section, he didn't even know he had salt tabs and he didn't take salt tabs and he got really dehydrated or he got messed up with too much water, not enough salt, sodium per liter. And so that was a learning experience for him because, because he had crew packing his bag was, in his bag right they're just stuffing it places so there wasn't a system and but what happened was while they were doing that all these other guys 
that were not really part of the crew, but are, we're going over one at a time. I just sat back and watched as a coach. I didn't say anything. I just sat there and like observed the whole scenario for like a half an hour. And a guy would walk out because he was bored and he doesn't know what to do. And he feels like he needs to do something right. They want to contribute. So he would go over and sit next to the run and the runner's trying to take a nap like this. And he would be like, you know, he's out of it and he'd wake up and he's like, you know, Hey man. And they'd talk for like two, three minutes. He'd wake him up and then he'd like walk away and the runner would be over there starting to doze off again. And another guy would do the exact same thing. Hey man, how you doing? Patting him on the knee, waking back. And it's like, he's not getting his sleep. Like I'm sitting there watching like during his race. Right. When he's like, yeah. I mean, we're talking a guy's going to be out there five days, right? Yeah. Nights, five days. He needs 15 minutes of sleep right now. Right. More than anything else he needs right now, he needs sleep. And, and this is and where, this like, is where the, that's where the crew chief comes in. Right. Because the crew chief is like, like one person has to be like the, you know, the budget holder at the end. You know what I mean? Who's going to step in there and be like, no, <laughs> what he leave needs him alone. This. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like when you came in hypothermic to what, I can't remember the name of the aid station that's up there at the top of the LaSalle's, you know, um, and, and it's 3 AM or something like that. Right. You know, and me and, and Derek and, and Jen have been waiting for a while, you know, you're a little bit, you know, we were, you were late to what we expected because everything was like wonky, you know, and yeah, that uh, section was long. Yeah. And you, you came in and you're like, you know, in this staggered place, right? It was like, it was like, it's like triage, right? When someone gets wheeled into that room, there has to be one mind that says, okay, Jean, get me hot water bottles. Like Jen, get in that sleeping bag right now and get him in there with you. You know what I mean? And like having that like train conductor and then having like a team that has the humility to like flex around that. You know what I mean? It's because like, it's like, being able to like work inside of a system where someone's giving orders requires everyone to be humble. Right. You know, well, and, and not get, not, not feel like not get mad. Right. Exactly. That's, that's, exactly. that's yeah. one thing Jen's always said, like with George crewing, she's like, we know George's crew chief. And it's like when George is being George, meaning being over in that situation where someone needs to be the conductor we just say, okay, get out of the way and then do whatever he says. Right. Like yeah. he's, he's in that mode and he just starts giving orders and everyone else understands this isn't about your ego or like who's in, we know that George is crew chief. There is a hierarchy there and we need management at the moment. And the management says, do this. And we go, yes, we will do that. Right. Yeah. And that you have to understand that and you have to set that up ahead of time. You can't right. have that like playing out during the race. And that's where it's the runner and the crew chief. You need a crew chief. Yeah. The runner and the crew chief's responsibility to explain to the rest of the crew, you know, in a 200, especially when you have maybe four people in the group, that this is the hierarchy. If he says this, do it, right? And swallow your pride. And yeah. maybe that, and, and that and then, sometimes needs to come from the runner to give the crew chief his, we already have that understanding, right? So we don't even have to have that conversation anymore, but we mm -hmm. have had that conversation before. And, mm -hmm. and so we understand it and the, the hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the important thing, of course, is that you immediately flex back out of it. Right. You know what I mean? So like, you know, this all happens, right. And then your runner takes off. Right. And we're immediately back to like, 
high fives and like, you know, like a, a collective where we're making any other decisions like collectively, right? You know, that, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. that happens for a moment and then you come back out of that state. And that's how like the whole vibe stays like uplifting and like awesome, you know? Um, I think I think that's an important piece to like make sure we keep in the conversation too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I and think, you have to manage that as the runner. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize too that like when you have the two or three people crewing, like just because like say George, you're the crew chief and someone else is just like, maybe they're just getting some bottles of warm water or talking to the aid station people about something small and minor. That's still very important to the whole organization. So it's Absolutely. not like because I'm giving you the drop bag and doing all these things for you, that's the most important thing. Because it, it's not like they're all equally important. And like mm-hmm. just grabbing water or filling a bottle is just as important as whoever's driving and whoever is in charge handing the drop bags and organizing all that stuff or making potatoes. Like everything is just equally important, even if it feels yeah. like it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that goes to the point we were saying earlier that like, you know, in the ultra running game, it's like the accrual of very small moments over a really long time, right? So every single one of those is so crucial to producing like success at the end, you know, absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of contrary to like how we live our lives, right? You know, like so many of us like focus so much on those big moments and for good reason, but Ultra running is one place where like, it's really clear that the tiny moments are where you really have the opportunity to move the needle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you're saying too, George, is super important about the team dynamics where like when you are in like the, the actual crewing moment, like those, those 10 minutes or whatever it is, or 30 at a 200, it's like those moments are very important and everyone can like be kind of serious, but also kind of fun. But then afterwards it's like, okay, like, we can chill out now. We have three or four hours. We don't have to be in game mode that entire time because one, it's exhausting. And then two, yeah. you're going to get grumpy with each other for no reason. It's like, exactly. you can still have a good time afterwards or even during too. Like it's got to keep it lively and fun. I mean, you can almost say that that's a, a crucial piece of it, right? Like it's not just, you can, you have to, you have to like also be having fun because again, so much of what we give them, like we hand them a water bottle, Right we're also handing them the energy that's going back and forth between us. So if like, as a crew, we're having a blast, like, and we're handing off that, like, just that fun and like that, like joy to the runner, like we're going to, we're going to reinforce his Zen box. You know what I mean? We're going to help make it so that, that he or she can stay in that uplifted place that is like crucial to performance, you know? And I think it's that, I came across in Moab like you I could tell you guys were having fun and it, it's yeah. like one of those things when you're the runner you're kind of like man they I wish I was hanging out with them I'm not <laughs> running this thing right now <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean especially like when we saw you at like in Indian Creek the first evening the first night uh-huh. like going into the first night like we had and it even it comes across in the documentary like we were having you guys were getting obviously it had fun that day and we're having fun already now, it, it's it's really crazy, though, to see that scene. This is the cool thing about having a film on it, right? Because you get to re, re kind of experience it from a like from a different point of view. Yeah. You know, as the runner, you're in your own mind. And so especially if like, I look back to what I remember about like mile 200 and that, that triage moment, right? We go from like this 70 mile moment. 71 or whatever it is in Indian Creek where you guys are like the first night which stoke still really high no one's sleep deprived yet right and then you go fast forward you know to like that moment and that moment was like 
a really tough one because it was full, something we'd never experienced before, right? Hypothermia, it, you know, like we got to get him warm. He's like really cold. He's like in, I was in like survival mode at that moment, you know, and this go, goes back to just in general myself as a runner. Like I had the gear in my pack to keep me from getting hypothermic, but I needed to put it on. And there's a difference between having and actually taking the 30 seconds to like stop rabbit and put it on for that last section. And I think that's, that was one that I really made a mistake on was not, that was a good learning experience for me as a runner was like, you know, you have a, you have an issue, take care of it right now. Don't let it fester that because I was close to the aid station and I kept telling myself, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. But there's this cold, icy wind, 6 a.m. Before, before dawn, it's coming down off the mountain in October, you know, coming off of 12,000 foot peak. And it, and, and it's like icy. It's under, it's below freezing. It's in my face. And I had an extra layer I could have put on, but I didn't. And then that caused me the tree. Had I mm-hmm. managed myself on the way up, I would have been in a completely different space. And that was, that's only a 10 or 15 minute window from when I, when that happened to when I came to the aid station. So when you look at those and compare them, there's all kinds of little moments where you make stupid mistakes as a runner that you pay for later. And, and then, and then that puts a lot of pressure on my crew. And I, so I didn't need to put that pressure in hindsight. I didn't need to put that pressure on my crew. It's it's on me. That was my fault, you know, because I didn't manage myself on the move when I had the gear. Now, it'd be one thing if I didn't have the gear, right? Oh, I just don't have that layer. Man, I'm screwed and I just need to get to this aid station. But I had it and I just decided in that like funky mental moment of no sleep that I was like too lazy to like actually put it on, right? Mm, mm. Um, and then I had to end up like, being in triage under blankets with my wife laying with me in a van trying to warm me up. Right. Mm-hmm. And we burned 15 minutes or more because of that stupid mistake. That's, you know, that's, I didn't, I didn't recognize I, that's, that's a cool story. I didn't realize that it was such a small window of time when, when you got that cold. And I think that's just like, that goes literally like- 10 minutes. That's insane. That's insane. Cause it, that took us, you were actually in the van for 35 minutes. I set a timer. That's how long you were laying there with Jen in that van. Um, and in, and we needed, we needed all 35 of those minutes to get you out of that hypothermic place. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, that little mistake was huge. Yeah. And I mean, so I see two ways. I see both the, it blows my mind to see that 10 minutes led to a 35 minute stop. Right. You know, it also kind of makes and it could have been like a 10 minute stop. Right. Exactly. A 10 yeah. Yeah. And like, imagine if like the conditions had been such that that moment had kicked in 20 minutes earlier. Right. And you had spent 30 minutes in that exposure. Right. That could have radically changed the nature of how that day played itself out. Right. You know, so yeah. I guess I guess, you know, from the perspective of this conversation, what we're saying here is that, like, again, this is an example of little tiny things that accrue over time. Right. And crewing, you know, thankfully, we were in a position to be able to help turn that needle for you. But like if you had stepped into a crew that wasn't dialed. Right. You know, that would have, that could have really gone the other direction really quickly there. Or just made a mistake and pushed you out of there. 
Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, right. We've just been like, oh, Jeff, you're already behind your splits. You got to keep going, man. You got, you're, you're fine. Get out of here. Right. It's almost yeah. dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a good moment. That was a good moment. Cause normally that's how I think that racing in the front of the pack gets handled. Right. Even just, just like being my own self. So one of the things I think that's really been special about being Jeff Browning's crew is I've had like kind of the opportunity, like I've been in that top 10 Western States crewing pod, you know, that's going eight station to eight station a lot of times. Right. I've been at the front of hard rock quite a bit. Like I've been, you know, I've seen a lot of elite crewing over these years, you know, and it's, it's more often than not that I see them just trying to like push their person out regardless of what's going on. Right. So there is like a real, like, let's call it the double black belt level, right. Which can like really like discern the right moments to say, okay, dude, this is the moment where like, I'm giving you a bottle and I'm going to kick your butt without even touching the chair. Right. Or like, oh, I see where you're at. And like, you're actually going to lay down for 30 minutes because that that's, what's actually a hundred percent crucial here. You know? Um, right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even know how in this conversation we could begin to teach people that like that truly is like exposure over time to get. And that. that's like a unique relationship with your crew and your runner. Like, like yeah. that's not something we can coach. Yeah. That has to be developed and yeah. it has to be an understanding and you have to know your runner and you have to know the person and you have to know each other. And, yeah. you know, that, that's something that time, only time can like kind of really dictate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess, I guess the advice we can offer people is, is find a good friend and stick with them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the friend has to be willing to want to do it too. Like, that's what Amen. I really am thankful, thankful for, for George as a friend, like he's an ultra runner and he understands ultra running, but he also like, he, he, he's stoked on the crewing part of things and he's really good at it. So, um, you know, you got to go find your own Bronco whisperer. <laughs> I think, I think too, like what you're saying, George and Jeff is like a lot of this stuff, like, like you say, you can't coach it or whatever. Like you can't just like read a blog and be like, Oh, well, like now I'm going to be an expert crew person. Like it's, it's like, like racing, for example, if you only race once every three years, every time you show up to race, you're going to be nervous. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. But if you're consistently crewing or consistently racing, you can like you learn from those mistakes every time and you just become better, better and better at it. And then things just become kind of second nature. Like like at that aid station, in the LaSalle's like we all have like been in these situations enough where it just kind of became second nature. We're like, OK, we'll get warm bottles. We'll get Jen in the sleeping bag and it all kind of works out. But if we hadn't been in these situations over the years, we wouldn't even have thought of that, honestly. And yeah. so I, I just think like experience is super important. So like Jeff, you're saying you went to a 200 just to, and just observed, like that's a great way to learn. Or if you're going to go crew somebody or be a part of a crew, yeah, maybe take a step back and play. I know I just said there are no minor roles in crewing, but like maybe play more of a minor role, maybe just drive or something. And then you can watch and observe and learn from all those people. And then when you're in that situation, you might have more ideas or be able to help more than you would previously be able to. Definitely being there or doing it, a couple of times with Mike McKnight really helped my, like I, I had done a lot of downloads of two hundreds, right. Middle back of the pack. I, I, I coach a lot of runners in the middle of the back of the pack for two hundreds. And, um, and, and Mike, Mike and Sarah Ostazuski are the two that kind of are up front. And so I get, it's cool because I get, that's a different race. That is a different logistics, different crew. Like it's different to be up front trying to race these crazy things, right? Is that long? But 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 for everyone else, like the majority of people, they 
it's good to know like, hey, you know, you might be pushing a cutoff and we can get you not pushing a cutoff if if you can just be a little, just kind of embrace the logistical side of things a little more, right? Mm-hmm. Like the things, all the things we're talking about. If you can kind of be more efficient, you can take care of your crew and they aren't inefficient because they're tired or whatever. If we can do all these little things, then we can get you like, say, instead of pushing the cutoffs, we might have you three hours in front of them, right? Mm-hmm. And that gives you a buffer and that gives you some padding, you know? So like, you know, just thinking through those things and observing and getting better at them, I think piece of this game, and especially in the 200 plus, I mean, it it, it is like times 10 compared to 100, you know, but, but, but I still think the hundreds are appropriate because if you can be, you can, we dialed in our system in the, in Um, I, I think, I think the, the, the word you just said there, Jeff, that I'm, that I, like is, uh, I'm riffing on is embrace the logistics, right? It's almost like that, like that Zen idea of like, like discipline equals freedom, right? You know, that like, like if you embrace the logistics and you embrace, embrace that pre-planning, what that means is that you actually have the space to enjoy the day, right? You know what well, I mean? Like, that's a really good point, George, because like, if I look at like my time spent on logistics for a hundred versus a 200, it's literally a lot more yeah. because there's, right. there's just so many more variables and you're trying to figure for them all. It can kind of like make you head swim a little <laughs> bit, like to do it, like to sit down and to do that spreadsheet with all the instructions. You're just like, at some point I'm, my brain is like hurts. So I have to take a break from it and come back another day. You know, when I'm in the process, it has to start. It can't be something you like cram like you did when you're in college for a exam, you know, like study the notes before until two in the morning and then get up with sleep deprivation and flunk the test, you know, or get a C. Right. Um, When you would, if you would have just done an hour and a half, three days in a row, you would have aced the test, you know, so it, it just, it pays for you to embrace the logistics and spend a little time on them and think, spend a little time on them and think. And, and like really kind of dial it in that way. And I think too many people get overwhelmed and then they just drop it, but you don't, you just got to work on it a little bit at a time and, and get it dialed in. But doing all that thinking when you're fresh saves you a ton of mistakes and you're not going to make good decisions when you're tired. Yeah. So you need to like, kind of think through the base plan. You still obviously have to do make, you know, audibles like we did we had to take multiple audibles during Moab and that's part of the game. Yeah. And that's when the hierarchy comes in, right? Crew chief, everyone else. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. And, and like making those fl- on the fly, but, but, but planning ahead of time, the logistics are a big piece. And I think people who don't embrace the logistical side of things are really like they're, they're setting themselves up for potential failure. Um, you know, you know I, and- I, I, there's an interesting thing I think we should ladder back to, too, and think about it from another perspective, which is, you know, um, if you are out there in, you know, listener land here and and you are training for a 100 mile race or a 200 mile race, like you're you're probably putting in 
15 hours a week running during your big volume weeks. Like you're, you know, we all know this as ultra runners, it, we dedicate this huge chunk of our lives to it. Right. And what we're talking about here is like, you know, three ish hours of like dedicated concerted time, you know, broken up over the course of several, you know, sessions. Right. And, and the payoff in the end, right. Is significant for that amount of like effort, right. Versus like, you know, let's say you stacked in an extra five hours of training a week for, you know, the 10 weeks of leading up to the race day, you're, you're not going to gain that much more in, in fitness. It's going to make your speed that much greater, right. This is actually right. where like the juice and the squeeze is for like, for most of us who are, you know, like, you know, like, like you're saying, pushing cutoffs versus being six hours in front of them, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. You can make up a lot of time just on the logistical side of things. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing yeah. that really came into play when I, when I helped and I observed before I raced that yeah. I noticed in the 200s especially was yeah. the amount of time wasted at aid stations. Because yeah. it's so farther, be, they're farther apart. So people naturally think, well, I can take a lot more time at these mm -hmm. aid stations. Mm -hmm. But the time just, it like, poof, yeah. it like disappears. <laughs> and, and it's like, disciplined crew into the mix or too many cooks in the kitchen and no clear hierarchy and all these other little things that like are a trickle down effect to that time waste. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's where you can really improve by just spending that little. And the other thing that comes out of like the, the pre-planning logistical, if you're embracing the logistics is that you think of things, you know, like if you start it early and you're working on it a little bit and then you're thinking about it and you're working on it a little bit, right? You're, you're actually work doesn't take that much time. Like he's saying, and you know, 45 minutes to an hour or something at a time in these little sessions. But in between, if you have the discipline to use the notes on your phone, most of us run with our phone, right? Mm -hmm. Is this just a hike break in your training runs? Because that's when like things come to you and you'll be like, oh, what if we it would be more efficient if we did that or, Oh, I, I forgot this, you know, on my list mm -hmm. notes, boom, 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 boom. And you can let it go. And then when you come back to sit down and do logistics for an hour or 45 minutes, like the next session, you get out your notes on your phone and be like, Oh yeah, I need to do that, that, and that. Right. Mm -hmm. And not forget it. That was another thing we like, we figured out during the race too, is like, I would think of things I needed stuff that wasn't on the list. And in, 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 in the, in the race, this is something I coach now. So here's a good tip for everyone who's going to do a 200, even a hundred, it comes in handy too. But in a 200, especially because you're tired, especially middle of the back of the pack, they're out for a lot of nights with not a lot of sleep. So that, that really compounds the sleep deprivation and your short-term memory goes out the window. So you'll think of things in between aid stations, like you need at the next aid station, but you, you will forget it when you get and then you'll leave that aid station and you'll be on the next section like, oh, I forgot that. And you'll do that like three times during the race if you don't write it down. So like you have to take the hike break just like you would in training in the race and jot down notes. Actually read off the notes when you come into the aid station to your crew. Like, hey, I need this, this, and this on, on top of what you already have on your list. So that's another did, way of like- didn't you, didn't you text me during the Moab race? 
I feel like I remember. I feel like, am I? Am I, I might. I might have texted you when I had coverage once. Like, yeah, you get I, little I, sporadic coverage. I, I might have texted like you ahead. Really I need this text. I think there was a moment in that race where. Well, you this is why. One of our downloads afterwards was I have an inReach Mini too, or whatever you know, little garments, and they they can tether it to your phone and you can text people, right? And if someone oh, has another right. person has an inReach. If you're off cell coverage, they're in the inreaches can talk to each other, satellite, right? One of the things we talked about was like that's another logistical thing that would be you're already carrying a spot tracker on one side, and it and it makes always makes your pack kind of lopsided. Put the inreach mini on the other side so it's balanced, and then you have a with your crew when you don't have cell coverage. That's if right. they have an inreach too, right? So like you could, I'm ten minutes out, and then they don't have to rely on the spot tracker, which sometimes is a little off. That's, and then right. you can, that's what I'm remembering. That's the conversation. Yeah, and that's what we talk is like a yeah. fix for 200s. Like, so you can yeah. communicate with crew because communication becomes a really, especially racing them, communication becomes a really important piece because if I can tell you, hey, I need A, B, and C on top of what's already on the list, you can go dig A, B, and C out and you're not do, scrambling around when I show up going, oh, where is that? I don't know where it is. You guys are not stressed. You can be like, oh yeah, yeah. I walk in, you have it all laid out plus the A, B, and C. Right. Yeah. And so little things like that, I think, are really an important piece. And you just managing yourself mentally where you have a rule. Think of something, put it in your notes. Right. Yeah. 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 And thinking about that, too, like the time savings of like yeah, people might be like, oh, if I walk for a minute and send a text to my crew chief, I'm going to lose a full minute of running. But if that saves you five minutes at the aid station. Right. And then, then that's worth the, the minute because then you're four yeah. minutes ahead at that point. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah it's it's so funny to get people's heads around that though right to get around that like understanding that like something that costs time can actually save time yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah. well i guess speaking of tips and stuff then as we kind of wrap up we've been going for a minute and you guys got stuff going on but like i guess george from your perspective what would be like maybe three big tips from a crew chief perspective and then jeff what would be three big tips from the runner's perspective that you'd give as far as crewing goes Mm. Jeff, you want to go first? I'll go first because um, if you have more than one, you have more than one cook in the kitchen, a clear hierarchy, establish that as the runner managing your team. You ha ultimately you're the manager and you need to manage your crew and the, and it's your responsibility as the runner to not only manage your crew, but manage the logistics, embrace the logistics. Now I, I have some runners I coach that don't embrace the logistics and they let, they have just a friend or something that is very good at logistics and they let them do the logistics, like say the spreadsheets or the planning or some of the planning. And, and that's a mistake you need. If that's a weakness in you, embrace it and become good at it. Right. Even though it's not something you're good at, you need to become good at it. So I think legit embracing the logistics if you're not good at them, managing your crew is number is one of the one of the three. Um, the third one is like be thankful for your crew. From the runner perspective, the last piece is like take them out to dinner, buy them a steak, you know, like you know stuff like that. Like I've always done that after we're done. I'm like thank you. I take them out. I tell them thanks. I show them thanks. I think that's an important piece of the puzzle because if they get done and they're like all strung out and then you just say, thanks, I'm going to bed. Right. And in, in, in that trip, 
you don't take care of them afterwards, um, they're going to be like, I don't want to do that again, you know? <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, so like I make them feel appreciated. Cause I, I even, I know I tell George this, but I do appreciate it big time, you know? Well, thanks man. I feel that to say, you know, reflect that back dude. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do, but okay. So three, three from me from the crew side. So I feel like, let me just frame this first to say that I feel like a lot of this conversation we've talked about like, like the real nuance of like badass crewing. Right. So like three suggestions, I almost want to like pull the aperture back and, you know, widen it a little bit. And like, let's talk about like, let's say you're just coming to crewing, you know, at first, the first one is, and I'm sure we've all heard this a million times, but you have to take care of yourself, right? Like the first thing you have to do, you know, you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help anybody else sitting next to you in the airplane, right? So you've got to eat, you've got to drink, you've got to sleep if you need to, you know, like you've got to make sure that you're managing your space so that you can be available and have capacity to help anyone. That would be, you know, point number one. Um, point number two would be, um, like something around like, like to do really good crewing, you have to really visualize what your day is going to be like ahead of time. So in that pre-meeting, when you're sitting down with your runner and you're going through what it's going to be, you have to like, think that, think about it, like really like put yourself there the same way you would, if you are in any other sort of sport endeavor, and you're going to visualize the game before game day, same thing here, you know, back in the day, Jeff and I, we didn't talk about this, but for years, when we built our crewing system, we used to spend the day before the race. Do you remember this, Jeff? Driving around to all the different aid stations, right? And we would run the course a little bit in both directions. So Jeff got a little bit of a preview, right? And we would be like, okay, this is where we're running. Exactly. In and out of the exactly. station that he was going to crew. So we knew yeah. exactly where I was coming in and we were talking about driven it once too. So our, like the driving component is a big piece of the crewing, you know? So like, like in my experience of learning to become really good crew, there was literal like physical, I was looking at it all, but I think you can accomplish the same thing, just visualizing it too. Looking at thinking about it, being like, okay, I'm going to start here at the start line. These are the things we're going to do there. Then I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to drive down this highway. I'm going to turn left. Then it's a right. And then I go up that Canyon and then I park, I I take out the backpack. I put the six things in it. I hike to the aid station, right? You know, I get the drop back, like picture this all in your mind ahead of time so that you can a pre -re pre rehearse, right? But B you also come to that pre meeting with like actual real questions for your runner. So you can be like, Hey, I was thinking about it. And at this aid station, it's really hectic here. What if we set up the crew spot over here? You know what? I mean, that's just one example. So, you know, first one is take care of yourself. Second one is like pre-rehearse visualization, you know, um, the third one is remember that everything you give them in the physical world is like a, you're also giving them energy too. So if you are handing them your bottles and you are stressed or you are pissed about being there, you are going to hand them a bottle full of stress and piss. <laughs> You know, um, <laughs> I don't like so, this in my a, bottle, man. That's a, little, <laughs> that's a little gross. That's a little gross. <laughs> I love that one. You do but not like, want piss in your bottle. Trust me. 
exactly exactly <laughs> but like just just remember that like 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 the energy you're giving is equally as important as the physical things that you're pa- passing back and forth between each other and and this is almost the real effect so that would, those would be my three if i had to give three and now you know why george is my crew chief <laughs> 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 those are some really good tips though guys like that's awesome <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so i guess uh, we can kind of wrap it up there then but um maybe just real quick what do you guys got coming up running wise i know george you're running 100 soon and then jeff you have the second half of the uh rocky mountain slam coming up right yeah i'm running uh the mountain yeah, got- 100 on in september so just like a little bit more than a, or, uh, a little less than a month from now or right around a month from now Anyways, I don't know. I'm in the middle of like running a ton of volume, like we were talking about earlier. <laughs> it's like 7 yeah, a.m. on the 15 mile run. <laughs> so yeah, cool. yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I got, I got, I've got Wasatch 100 September 8th, and then three weeks later, uh, Bear 100. So, and I won't have my crew chief. <laughs> but yeah, and oh, this is kind it's, of cool. It's not. I was going to say, Jeff is actually crewing What's me that? at Mountain Lakes. This will be the first time we've ever turned these tables around. So uh, after, yeah. after, a speaking of, years, I need to get my, I need to get my, my flight dialed in. Yeah. Speaking of logistics, on. we need to get working on logistics for that. huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I will be doing that in between those two hundreds. Going out to crew and help George. Nice. It'll be a good learning experience for you. You can see it from the other side of the the coin or the camera, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> All yeah. right, guys, let, let's wrap it well, up. He does then. tons of adventure running, but he doesn't race it. Oh, I was gonna say he race. He doesn't race as much as I do. So, like he, over the years, he's done hundreds, but he does a ton of adventure running, like kind of self supported type stuff. So, this has been an an opportunity for me to come back and help him. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'd actually be a fun show too. Just talk about adventure running and how to like essentially self crew or do self supported stuff versus having a crew chief at a race. It's a very different experience. Yeah, that'd yeah, be a fun totally show. Good. We should definitely have that conversation sometime. Yeah, it'd sure. be fun to chat about. Maybe we can do it in real life sometime. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Come out to Mountain Lakes, man, and we'll we'll do it there. Dude, yeah. When is that again? September fifteenth. Ooh, I think I might have something going on, but yeah, it's UTMB well, kind of. It kind of smashes against it a little. Bit. Oh yeah, that's right, huh? Yeah, this is a busy time of year for everybody, I feel like. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right cool, bro. guys. Thanks. It's good to chat. Good to chat with you guys again. It's fun. Uh, yeah. And, uh, right. happy, yeah. Cheers. Ha- happy birthday, Jeff. Congrats on being 52. <laughs> yeah. yeah, baby. 52. 52 years young. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Okay, bye.